0: Welcome to Disinfect, the podcast where we air out the worst songs ever recorded. Developed and co-hosted by me, Matt Deal, and co-creator and host at large, Morris Bernstein. So today, we're actually returning to the scene of the crime. Um, The first episode of Disinfect was on the worst cover of Joy Division's Love Will Tear Us Apart, which we unanimously agreed was uh, Paul Young's really bad version. I mean, again offensive i think it caused me adolescent trauma and so you know we're we're definitely in love with our own voices and our own opinions as clearly obvious but um we thought you know just to just to check ourselves we would go to the experts so this is kind of a special edition where we've we've interviewed actually mm, kind of experts and primary sources people that actually make music talking about whether this is the worst Joy Division song ever. So we talked to... um,
1: You say worst Joy Division cover ever because you said worst (laughs) Joy Division song ever. (laughs) Okay. Well, it is
0: the worst Joy Division song because it's the worst cover of Joy Division. Right. We're not uh, tired at all. We're not exhausted at all. Um, We went to Steve Albini, the iconoclastic recording engineer and... Um, musician with bands like shellac and big black and a huge joy division fan
1: and nirvana and then i
0: also what's that nirvana he recorded nirvana yeah yes of course and pj harvey page and plant um i'm trying to think who else a lot a lot of people a lot of really important musicians um and then i also had an extensive conversation with uh moby um the landmark electronic artist joy division is a huge influence on him uh, so much so that I, I believe he bought some uh, original gig posters. So we figured he'd have some unfiltered thoughts on the matter. And then Arthur Baker. Yes, Arthur Baker's actually worked with both Paul Young and New Order. New Order, yeah. So we're going to the to the meet there. You know, we're we're, we're putting our opinions to the test. Mm-hmm. Arthur Baker's also a genius. He's kind of one of the great producers of the. Uh, you know, he really created Electro. I think. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. So, yes, I mean, I think all these guys, Steve Albini, Moby, Arthur Baker, they actually changed how we hear music. And so I want to hear what they have to say about Joy Division and Paul Young and the awfulness. So we will take it away and we will let the experts help us disinfect. First up is Steve Albini. What do you think of the idea of a hack R&B singer attacking Level terrace us apart in the worst, most cliched '80s way possible.
2: I mean, any idea is worth hearing. I think "Level Terrace Us Apart" is uniquely would be uniquely suited to a like a faithful country and western interpretation, in my mind.
0: I've always wanted to hear Sinatra do it.
2: Missed the boat on that one. You know, bad music doesn't affect me that much these days. I, it's so easy not to have to hear it that. Given the, the way that we can each individually curate our listening, I just I'm so rarely exposed to terrible music. And, and if I am, it's such a brief thing that it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Terrible music doesn't bother me particularly anymore. We've never had a period where it was all good. You know, there's always been awful music.
0: And now we're going to hear from the artist known as Moby, who lets us really know how he feels about Joy Division and Paul Young and whether it is indeed the worst cover of Joy Division ever. He also talks about synthesizers. Take it away. We're going to do a little bit of a social experiment. Okay. Okay?
2: I mean, I'm assuming it's Paul Young. If I know it's Paul Young, level tears apart. I mean, like... I mean, from the first three notes, I used to work in a record store. Like, I, if there's anything I know, it's obscure-ish, 80, especially like Paul Young, you know, Lady in Red, Paul Young covering Joy Division. Like, oh wait, no, Krista Berg was Lady in Red. Christa Berg was Lady in Red. I Lady in Red. Like, I'm, I can't, so Paul Young no, was only when you leave, no, right?
0: No, no, the love of the common people.
2: And, but wasn't it yeah. only that, that like... Yes. There were a few and Every had time a few. you go, every time you go. Like, like the Swans covering Joy Division. That was an inter like, oh, okay. That's interesting. Paul Young, I was like, what the hell? Like, what is this weirdness? I almost, it's one of those like versions where it's like, I don't even know if it's bad or not. It's almost like terrible adjacent. Like, I don't even I, I, because the truth is, I remember like my then girlfriend Margaret, um, Both of us were, like, horrified when he came out with that. Um, Margaret's gone on to have a really interesting life. She used to play. We met. She lived in or Actually, Greenwich. I lived in Darien. We dated in the early 80s. um, And now she's the guitar player with Wire. And she was P.J. Harvey's guitar player. Yeah. So that's interesting. But I remember when that came out. And both of us were like, this is terrible. But it's also kind of not terrible. Like, it's like, it's... It, it, it's very confused. Like there, some songs are just straight up terrible. Like we built a city on rock and roll. Terrible. You know, Kokomo by the Beach Boys. Terrible. Like not one redeeming note in the entire song. This, I guarantee you, if you were like exhausted in an airport in Italy, catching like a 6 a.m. flight and that came on, you would get emotional. And you're like, You would almost like, kind of like I heard a remix of My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Granted, I was very drunk at the time. I was in the bodega on, I think, Pitt Street, buying like those little mini Budweiser's. And I heard this remix and I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I I really want to hate Celine Dion and I really want to hate My Heart Will Go On. But this remix was at three in the morning in a bodega. sounded great. So I would say that might not be the best choice for a truly terrible cover version. Keep in mind, it is terrible. I'm, not, I'm just saying it's, it's con- it confuses me because if it wasn't Joy Division, it would actually be kind of a nice version.
0: Well, I feel like... What, what, so I remember when I first heard the Paul Young version, I was in England on my punk rock grand tour and like I was watching like a BBC show, like a talk show or something, and then the yeah. song came on okay. at the end of the show, like over the credits, and I'd never heard before, and I was so offended... I was so yeah. angry. I was like it freaked me out. And then what I was like, you know what freaks me out the most? I mean, there's so many elements. Number 1, the biggest one is he under, misunderstands the whole point of the song. Completely.
2: I mean, I can think of covers versions that are really offensive, and this one I don't know why I hate to say this. I have a 2 I have a 98% contempt for it and a 2% like Oh,
0: okay. Well, it is—it is a cover of one of your favorite songs of all time, if not your favorite. It's Actually,
2: my least favorite Joy
0: Division song. Is that true?
2: Yeah. Like, if, as far as Joy Division's oeuvre is concerned, like this is definitely—I I think it's a really nice song, but like, it's not one of my favorite Joy Division. Songs. I think Disorder
0: is my favorite Joy Division song.
2: I think everything off of Closer and Unknown Pleasures is better than this. Lyrically, it's a beautiful. It's, it's. But all I'm saying is, my weird perspective is I don't have. Categorical condemnation of it. I have almost categorical condemnation of it, attenuated by a little part of me that thinks, you know what, in the right context, I could find myself almost liking this. Like I said, imagine yourself emotionally depleted. You're on a ferry going from, I don't know, like someplace in Italy to someplace in Greece. You've just had a terrible breakup. It's six in the morning, and you're just like, you're sick and unhappy. And you hear that, and you're like, oh, how is this perfect? Whereas Kokomo by the Beach Boys will never be perfect. It's the worst song ever recorded and written in human history. Like, I I hate that. that. Oh, or Where You Go To My Lovely by Peter Sarstead, a song that John Peel and I agreed on, the worst song ever recorded.
0: Oh, did you know that Love Will Tear Us Apart was a response to to Captain Neil. Well, we'll keep it together.
2: Who are you talking to, Matt? I know. I have a poster of New Order's first show, and it says, New Order Word Joy Divzian. They spelled it wrong.
0: Amazing. So so I always felt the original was like, we're really being ripped apart, and this is it, and being ripped apart, we're going into the unknown, and it's probably bad. Right. Well, it's
2: also, in the original, what what makes it so special is how descriptive it is. You know, it is like a John Cheever short story. Um, you had referenced John Cheever earlier, the greatest American writer. Um, but it has, there's like an unflinching vulnerability to it. Like it's so clear-eyed in the description of how this couple has, fa- has, has fallen apart. And it's poetic in its sort of like unflinching look at that. Um, and you're right, the, the Paul Young version... Also, in my mind, I just see the video.
0: Ian Curtis has been dead for three years.
2: Did 80? 80, okay, 80. thereabouts. Um, anyway, so to my mind, see still, that, that's my that's my spotty knowledge. I'm like, I know that "Level Tears Apart" was inspired by a Captain Neal song. I don't know exactly when Ian Curtis
0: died. I feel like Paul Young's thing is like a relationship fall apart, but man, we're gonna make it now. We're gonna be okay.
2: There, there is there. It, I mean, but it was it was the eighties. It was like you know pink gels on lights and music videos and hair blown well, by here, big fans like it was and he was a product of that time um
0: so the other thing that bothers me about it is the cool thing about love will part apart the original to me is you go to like every detail and this is partly like martin hannett in his production but like we're coming out of punk rock right it's and What's the first sound you hear on Level, Level Terrace, part by Joy Division? An acoustic guitar.
2: I don't know if it's an acoustic guitar, but it's it a very acousticy sound. That opening chord. Yeah. No, it's, even, it's, not sure it wasn't like just like a hollow body electric. I feel like Martin Hannett would just hate acoustic no, but guitars. That's like I feel like I envision like someone showing up in the studio with an acoustic guitar for Martin Hannett and him being like John Belushi in Animal House,
0: it's smashing it.
2: Yeah, like I don't I just like when I think of Martin Hannett I think of a certain ratio, I think of ESG, I think of Joy Division. I don't think of like acoustic guitar, but,
0: you know. But anyway, what I liked about it was it smashed my preconception of what was going to be on a song like that. And then if you think about like the synthesizer, the the one note, mm-hmm. you know, we we were coming out of Emerson, Lake and Palmer and, you know, yes, people forget this. Like a one-note synthesizer line was the equivalent of a Ramones bar chord progression. It was like a complete fuck you to the excess of prog.
2: Yeah, it was not It was not Rick Wakeman.
0: Right. And Keep and in mind,
2: I love the no, Yes. Me too. Like Yes records with Rick Wakeman are flawless. So I'm not too. in any way maligning Rick Wakeman or prog rock, but you're right. There's contextually a one-note detuned synth line on a broken old analog synthesizer it definitely is as far as synthesizers can be punk rock it's pretty punk rock
0: and then and then i also thought that joy division and new order always had the coolest drum machine sounds coolest Mm -hmm. i mean they sort of made me think about drum machines in a new way and so then i get this paul young version and it's the most cod awful so so in in all the ways that the elements of the joy division song are great and transcend i'm not disagreeing
2: with anything you're saying all I'm saying is, I personally have a two percent carved out space for the fact that, in the right circumstances or the right context, that Paul Young version might have emotional weight to it. Two percent, that- and like I said, I'm giving my examples, like the ferry on you know the Greek ferry, the Italian airport. You know, you're in Saint Petersburg, and your flight has been canceled, and you're waiting for your next flight, and you're in the bathroom. And you hear this version you're like oh in this moment i like this song that's all i'm saying you, there's you can't argue with subjective
0: so part of why we i you know we want to mm-hmm. kind of investigate bad music is you we have a we as a as the society we have a sort of a meta relationship with bad music like bad music for example is often the locus for racism the locus for stupid ideas about society more so than like having investigated it, and sometimes bad music can be the product of good people.
2: Yes, you know, Will I Am is a very nice guy. He also wrote my Humps. So there you go, Ma-ha, Ma-ha.
0: which is fairly memorable considering his catalog. Um, bad, like like you were saying, it's like ninety eight percent the worst song you've ever heard, and two percent I kind of get it. And that tension is interesting to me. Deep down.
2: I can't even admit it, but like my two two of my least favorite songs of all time, Kokomo and We Built the City on Rock and Roll, I love to hate them. Like I revel, like it's like a like a dog finding another dog's poop on the lawn and rolling around in it. Like I love hating those songs. And I truly hate them, but there's like a visceral satisfaction in
0: hating them. But if you think about like we built the city like, that's why too because
2: it's just and I I mean and, the, and and it's also contextually the fact that it's Jefferson Airplane, like Surrealistic Pillow, one of the greatest records ever made. And then like a few years later, it's like, what the fuck are you people doing? Like we built this city on
0: rock and roll. Like it, To me, that was like a beacon it, it flushed everything good about the sixties down the toilet, sonically and otherwise. And then it was pointing towards it was like the true lowest common denominator. And so what what disturbs me about the Level Terrorist part is merging the lowest common denominator with something with something so pure no with something so complex that yeah it's weird. I, you know it's funny, I listen to the level terrorist part, I kinda wish like Frank Sinatra had covered it.
2: Well, you know, I mean Tony Wilson was trying
0: to get Ian to sing more like Frank Sinatra. And that was actually the croon, the, the like, mm-hmm. like like and it's really on closer, the croon is evolved. Mm-hmm. And that was also anti-punk rock. Do you know what I mean? That was going against. Now it had roots mm-hmm. in Iggy Pop. It had roots, obviously, in Jim Morrison. Both. It was. It was. It was counterintuitive to what was happening, and therefore it made it new. I don't know. I don't know. And again, I love bad drum machines. I love. There's there's things I love about the Paul Young version in other music. Maybe it's also that
2: sonically, the Paul Young version a little bit it sonically reminds me. Of a wonderful song, "Good by Horses" by Q. Lazarus. It's the it's the when in Silence of the Lambs when Buffalo Bob dances in front of the mirror with his penis tucked between his legs. Um, it's a wonderful song, and it feels like it's using the same drum machine, the same synth pad. So I feel like there's a sonic familiarity that I kind of like.
0: So I guess that's the thing. It's like you know, you know the term cod reggae. Have you heard that term? It means. It means like the most fake, phony version of reggae.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like Dire like Maker. Yeah, which is a great version. Yes.
2: No, Dire yes. Maker is the only bad Led Zeppelin song.
0: Yes. Um, Arguably. Like every choice in that Paul Young song was the the most obvious choice. And every no. choice in the Joy Division song is the least obvious choice. Sure.
2: I would just say that if you guys are going to go down this strange cultural rabbit hole of finding music to hate you have to also allow yourself the space to sort of like grudgingly love these things as well, well that's why enough. you can never do peter sarstead where do you go to my lovely because that's just 100 percent contemptible but like you have to like leave just a little bit of space for like like my humps which is a, one of the worst songs recorded ever but everyone involved they're nice people and they've done some good things and they've, you know, so it's just like carving out that space so it's not just a monolithic approach to terrible
0: music. I, I read a New Yorker article and it described a psychological state, I think it's called a where you are completely aware that you're ill and fucked up and then in complete denial of it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel that way about this song and also bad music in general. Like there's really bad music that is very important to my life, but it's sort of assuming that it's just the wallpaper and it's in the background. Like, I don't know, but there's something also lazy about just being like, that's a guilty pleasure. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I'm not, yeah, Paul Young, Lovell's part is not a guilty pleasure, but I just, like I said, it's possible that in the right circumstances, it could resonate with me as terrible as it is.
0: And we're gonna end with uh, Morris speaking with Arthur Baker in a most unfiltered Disinfect exclusive.
1: So, a- a- as you know, we, um, you know, we recorded a an episode, um, Matt and I, on uh, the cover version that Paul Young did of Joy Division's uh, "Love Will Tear Us Apart."
3: So, you're actually doing a two part on "Love Will Tear Us Apart." It's so bad.
1: Got <laughs>
3: that's that's awesome. You know. I I just think it's funny because obviously I I know uh, Hookie and Barney, and I I wonder what they'd have to say about the version, you
1: know? We're really honored to have Arthur Baker with us. Um, Producer, DJ, filmmaker, restaurateur. Am I missing anything to your accolades? Uh, Lap swimmer. I've been swimming a lot of laps these days. Not a lap dancer. You're a lap swimmer. A lap swimmer. swimmer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
3: It's a lap swimmer.
1: I think you've summed it up um, and then you know uh, for those of you who don't know some of Arthur's um, work um, he produced uh, Planet Rock, Patrick Grand Barter the seminal uh, uh, electro hip hop dance track which is legendary uh, Walking on Sunshine by Rock Revenge again legendary and IOU by Freeze um amongst other things. And really from there, Arthur, um, that's how you met New Order, right? You you came to their attention that way? Well how, I met you- I met New Order
3: through I think uh well Planet Rock and and Walking on Sunshine were both out before before I worked with them. And um this friend of mine, Michael Shamberg, who you probably knew from New York, but he he was running Factory Records New York and um he uh, he introduced us and thought that we 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 could work well together and and uh, and you know we went in the studio and and you know in in one in one sort of three day session we recorded confusion and the music of thieves like us and uh, yeah it was pretty productive couple of days and and um, through the years I've worked with them and I'm very good friends with the band and, and you know so we've we I've done remixes for them and DJed for them and and. I'm I'm friends with both with both you know, both Hookie and with Barney and Steve and Jillian. So which isn't which isn't a common occurrence these right. days because they, they don't really speak other than through lawyers. We did those tracks in New York, uh unique studios in New York, which was a, and we did some of the work in my studio shakedown. So we mm-hmm. yeah, we recorded in New York, finished finished confusion there, shot the the sort of the seminal uh Video of confusion where in? I'm driving around New York in a cab, not a limo. Yeah. Everyone always thought it was a limo. It wasn't. It was a, a yellow cab. And, uh, yeah, so as I said, I've stayed friends with them all these years and, and uh, still and working were, with them.
1: Which were the clubs that you – when? which was the clubs that that was shot in?
3: It was shot at, it, it, uh, at uh, the Fun house and Paradise Garage. Oh, wow. They they go up the stairs at Paradise Garage mm-hmm. or down the stairs, and they did a gig at Paradise Garage. Mm-hmm. And in the funhouse, you see them sort of get, getting patted down and going into the, you know, by security and going into the club. And then they end up in the booth with Jelly Bean, and I'm walking through the crowd. And uh, it's actually one of the few times that that club scene was really captured in, on film. You know, it's unfortunate. There isn't a lot of uh, – Footage from back then, but it 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 it's used a lot because of that, and it it's been used in many documentaries. I'm using it in mine right now. They were just filming as kids were dancing. It wasn't it right. wasn't like, it was, I mean, obviously the bits of New Order going in the booth, me going in the booth, giving Jelly Bean the reel. It was done, but it was done during a actual night. It it wasn't done, you know. Right. Yeah, it was it was filmed it, it, live. It, it uh, probably on I think it was a Friday night at
1: the Funhouse. And the garage.
3: thing is we've been looking for, for, you know, for any footage, leftover footage, and no one's ever been able to find it. So much like the footage in um, Beat Street from the Roxy, you know, there were great mm. footage, but, you know, it was all used in the film and, and we haven't found any outtakes on that either. So which is really unfortunate because, you know, there was great, great footage there,
1: you know. And, and you've continued your relationship with – um, new order. I've
3: I've DJed with Hookie and he's he's
1: played on a lot of things
3: I've worked on for my wife's fashion label and stuff. So yeah, we I mean we all we're all really good friends. So.
1: And when did you first hear "Love Will Terrorist Us Do you remember
3: what I heard it? I heard it uh, when it came out, and I heard it. I actually got it. I was working in a in a, um, in, a in 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 Jersey in Long Island City, actually. At a, at a Cardinal One Stop, which was which, which was a distributor for all types of labels, and they had a copy of it, and I actually still have it to this day. And I um, I hadn't heard it, but I, I got a copy, took it home, and listened to it, and I and I really liked it because when I started working with New Order, I wasn't all that familiar with the group, and um, everyone was really, oh, you're going to work with New Order, you know. It, People were super impressed by that, which, uh, which I, you know, they weren't really super on my on my radar. But um, they, uh, when I heard the track, I, I really loved it, and, and to this day I love it. And uh, I've actually done, I, I did a remix about 20 years ago that
1: of "Love Will Apart."
3: Yeah, that came out on on Warner's, and I've recently done a a remix, which is an amazing remix. It will never come out because the group doesn't want it to come out, but. I played it I played um, I did a live stream House thing that a mm-hmm. couple of weeks oh, yeah. ago recently the, Yeah the, and I, I and, now, I, and yeah. I played it and I got such great feedback. I got so many people calling and going, you know, how great the uh, the remix was. So it it is a song I I really love and and the new the remi- the recent the first remix I did was not that I I wouldn't say it was great, but uh, the one I've done, I did about three years ago, I think it's great. And I think it mm-hmm. captures the essence of the song and, and but makes it really danceable in a sort of, I don't know, underground way. But it, whenever I play it out, it really gets a great reaction. I played it at the Hacienda well, at the hacienda party in, um, last year when I was in Manchester for one of those hacienda parties and there were like, Ten thousand people there. It was amazing, and uh, I played it, and it, people went off crazy. So yeah, it's it's a good remix.
1: Obviously, the track is a classic. So yeah, which well, it's is a, why it's beyond,
3: it's beyond the classic. Yeah, it's, it's just one of, to me, it's one of the best one of the best records of all time. You know, it rates up there with some of the Stones things, the Who. I mean, I think I I really hear a lot of Who elements in in the original, you know. Mm. I I think the John Entwistle thing, Hookie's a real fan of his. And I actually was with Hookie and Barney when they – the only time they met John Entwistle, we were in in London. And Hookie was like super shy about going up to meet him, you know. So it was – and afterwards I said, oh, yeah. Joy Division, uh, uh, love will tear us apart. At the beginning, and it's like it's very much like the Who, you know, ding ding, mm-hmm. pinball wizard type of vibe. So hmm. musically, it's v- really influenced by the by the Who, for sure. Which next time you listen to it, listen to the beginning. Yeah, that's, you know, it's really yeah. it's very it's very Pete Townsend and and, and Entwistle vibe. Whether yeah, whether I'm... it was intentional or not, but he is. He said that Intw- uh, Hooky had told me Entwistle was one of his favorite bass players, so I would hmm. think that that had some sort of influence.
1: And and why else do you think it's probably one of the greatest?
3: Lyrically, songs it's amazing. Yeah. Lyrically, the vocals great. I mean, it just it's it's a pop song. It's it's angst pop song. Love. I mean, it just has every all the elements in it, and and it's danceable, and it's rock you know it's just got all it, it. it's all there it's all there there's you know there's, there's it, it is it definitely isn't the type of track that you should try to cover you know to right. be honest
1: <laughs> yes
3: yeah so i always rated it from the day from the day i uh i i got the record uh i always rated it as an amazing record i mean you know it's and joy division as an amazing band for the same people to have have been in Joy Division and New Order, like two groups that sort of really changed music. You don't you don't you don't find it, I don't think anyone else has done that. Who lost a lead singer and then continued and started a new band and made had another band as influential. So I don't I think they're super unique.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. I think I think probably the only band that lost a lead singer and then had more success with a new lead singer um was Genesis yeah that's their yeah
3: they they had success for sure after yeah yeah so i would say yeah. new order and genesis
1: yeah <laughs> yeah although i prefer new order so <laughs> although i like peter gabriel a lot
3: yeah uh, no i know. think i think genesis made some good records man i mean they, mm-hmm. they you, you you could say that they did you know continue and made made great you know great records you know
1: different yeah they certainly had more success yeah 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 and then um obviously we're here to talk about the the cover um yeah about, by paul young and do, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about your relationship with paul uh because you you've yeah worked with yeah him, right? i
3: mean i i actually love paul uh i think he's a great he's a great soul singer you know and and i i uh I first heard about Paul, actually, because he kept my – he kept IOU from going to number one in 1983 with – I think it was Wherever I Lay My Hat. Mm-hmm. And it was, that was number one all summer in 83, and IOU was number two. So, I always – you know, I wasn't really happy with that because I would have loved to have a number one with IOU. Yeah, but we never met. We didn't meet until I did. I was doing music for the, the this movie, Fried Green Tomatoes, and it was going to be an entire album of pretty much of covers. And I thought Paul would be great to do uh, what becomes of the broken hearted. Hmm. So we worked on it in in L.A. and. uh I had Steve for I was Steve for and I think David Palmer was on that. And I, I used some great musicians, and and uh, Tommy Farragher worked on it. And it, and it ended up be, becoming a really big hit. It was a top, it was his last, yeah, big hit in America. Right. It was a top 20
1: mm-hmm.
3: pop, and it was number two adult contemporary. And this was all without a video, so it was really actually. Uh, the, you know, it was pretty unheard of at that time because, you know, we were we were trying to get MCA to do a video from the movie, and it just didn't. For some reason, they never did. And I I, I really believe if it if it had a video featuring footage from the movie with him mm-hmm. doing a little singing in it, I think it probably would have went top ten pop because it it mm-hmm. really got tons of radio play. But then I didn't I didn't really work with him for or see him for, you know, maybe till 2000 and I think 12 when I, when I, um, had this idea to do a a, a label that would just do covers with iconic vocalists and, and, you know, and, and just sort of, that was the concept. And I spoke, I contacted him because I had the relationship and we ended up doing an album of, of stacks covers and, uh, which I, you know, we put out, I put out on my own label. Um, it was called, the album's called Good Thing and, uh, came out really, I think came out great. You know, I, I was listening to it today again and, and the, he, he kills Big Bird. He kills your good things going to end. He killed really great, ver, 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 true to the originals, not very far out, but he sings them really well. So, you know, basically that came out in in 2016 and we we actually did maybe 25,000 30,000 albums which you know isn't bad in in, mm-hmm. in, in 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 nowadays but uh and he sounded great so uh that's my that's my relationship with Paul you know
1: yeah and obviously you know i i think Paul is a, an amazing singer too um but just the the problem that we were having is really with his First of all, the decision to cover "Love Will Tear Us Apart," and then his his actual execution of it. Um, what did you, What do you think of his what What goes wrong for you? That they did it. That was what went wrong. <laughs> it's all no.
3: It's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. And the thing is. You could have no, you couldn't. I, I I keep thinking maybe if he did it in a different way, if he did it acoustically. I'm just trying to. I, when I when you when I listened to it again, I was like, what could he have done? Well, the, the the changes in the melody were horrible. Okay, they you know there's plenty. There's a lot of changes in the melody, which I'm sure the producer told him to do. I don't think he would have just went off and, and done it on his own from having worked with him you know he is a very Paul is uh is is uh, available to be produced if you know what i mean if you give mm-hmm. him an idea he'll work with it so i'm sure you know it, i'm sure it wasn't his idea to do it i mean i'm pretty sure and then um you know basically it just it just was not the type of there there are plenty of songs he can cover and that just isn't – Love Will Tear Us Apart isn't one of them because, you know, you could uh, – you know, I keep thinking of uh, – what was the guy, Phil Flowers? Wh- who was the guy who did um, Wonderwall? But here's the thing. would Bo- Bo- Bowie could have redone Love Will Tear Us Apart and he could have redone it in a crooner way. He mm-hmm. could have and it prob- he could have probably sold it. Because you can hear him doing it like he would have done you know like Andy Warhol or some of the songs mm-hmm. from the Changes album you could hear him do it, and he possibly could have sold it because what he would have done with the melody would have been different, not try to make it pop and 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 what what they try to do with Love will Tear Us part it seems like to to take it poppier in some way or, mm-hmm. no, not even solely it's just sort of it was just not it wasn't a, it wasn't a good idea. And I'm sure Paul, you know, doesn't particularly like to hear it or want people to hear it, you know.
1: But it's interesting because you know when I've told people that we were talking about love, Paul Young's version of "Love Will Tear Us Apart," a lot of people who I respect musically have told me that they love this version. Wow, you know, so it, it's it's kind of, you know, it's like, oh no, I love that song. I love his version. It's fantastic. Are you, are, are you interviewing any of those people? No, we're not.
3: Why <laughs> oh <my> not? <God. laughs> See, that's not fair. I, I, I I'm doing this because I'm here. To, I'm going to be the voice of sticking up for Paul because I think Paul's a great singer. I just, I just think, I just think Paul's strength is soulful and and um, emotional, soulful. And I, I, and and I almost think well, maybe they thought because of the title that he could do something, and and you know I don't know if he was trying to make it like a a Hall and Oates thing. Could Daryl Hall have done it better? Love will tear us apart. I probably not. I mean, it's just not a song to be messed with. I actually did a right. cover of it though, which um, with this girl named Miranda Stanton and I did a cover with her, which you should try to find because maybe that will make it on your show too, you know? <laughs> it, was on a, it, was on a, it was on a New Order Joy Division compilation album, and I actually used some of the original stems from the song, but changed it up, and it's a bit more almost country. It isn't country and western, but, but you see, the thing is ha- having a female sing Love Will Tear Us Apart makes more sense than another guy trying to do it because you can't match Ian's version but with a woman I always I I never try to do covers of iconic songs like that with the same gender you know it's sort of you you would think that if, if if someone does a great song and then you try to have a female do a new order song that sort of works and I've done that too uh but you know the bottom line is uh it just didn't it didn't work. You know, and uh <laughs> it's pretty bad.
1: And and what about the instrumentation on there as well? Because I mean, you've got Pino Palladino playing bass. Yeah, but he is, played on you know, all his, his records, greatest. so he
3: he just yeah. used he used his guys. You know, which and you know it to think about it, it sort of makes sense in an A and R guy world. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great song. It is a great song. I'll just get. These great music, but what made that song great is it isn't like musicianship. It's like the, the, a group who play really well together merging and then it it's just like it's magic. You can't you yeah. can't recreate and, magic with with studio music. Yeah, and it's
1: very simple. You know, the keyboard line is simple, the guitar it's all, is Trust me, acoustic. I have I have
3: the parts, I have the stems, so I know how simple it is. I've right. listened to it many times, you know, stripped down just the bass, but it all, you know, it's like the sum of the parts are, are much, you know, or are, are what you know, makes the magic of of uh, of rock and roll. Think of some Stones records that I've mm-hmm. I've been able to mix and listen to. It's like the tempo is all over the place. It's sloppy. Charlie Watts is not in time throughout, but the combination of it is just amazing. So you know, it's just it's just what makes rock and roll rock and roll. And and. Yeah. It's a different mentality.
1: And Lovell Towers the Part was recorded at Strawberry Studios in, in Manchester. Yeah, right? yeah. In yeah. Stockport, Stockport, I should say. Yeah, in yeah, Stockport yeah. geographically. Correct. Yeah,
3: and Hookie would be happy if you
1: got it right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I, I grew up in Stockport. Yeah, so, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Were you ever at the studio? Or it, uh, no, it I mean, it was- I
1: used to walk past it. I was, a, I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I'm younger than you, Arthur. Yeah, I know that. So I know that. Um, you know, like cause I was a Big Ten CC fan, so they were. You know, that was their studio, and
3: I know, I know Kevin pretty well, but I don't know Lowell at all. I actually, I worked with them on the Sun City video. They, they, uh, they did the editing for the Sun City video, uh, most of it. You know, I worked on this move. Uh, I worked on this. Anti-apartheid record called Sun City, which I produced with uh, Little Stephen Van Zandt, and it came out in 1985. And um, it basically was a song. A, a, Sun City was a, was a um, it was sort of like the Vegas of um, of South Africa, and in, in a in a in a separate country that wasn't really a separate country called Batut Tetswana I think it's pronounced. And basically, a lot of artists would go there thinking it wasn't. In South Africa, and they played, but it wasn't South Africa. So we made a record um, that Stephen wrote, that was an anti-apartheid record, and anti- you know, and we, he used Sun City as the sort of the 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 symbol of the apartheid. And um, it grew from a little idea to uh, at my studio, and it grew from like Will Downing doing the vocal on the demo to. Everyone in the, I mean, literally, we had the best crew of people. But what made it amazing is we had like Miles Davis and Big Youth and Gil Scott Heron and Bruce Springsteen and 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 Pete Towns and played guitar on it, and Ringo Starr played. I mean, I mean, literally, it was unbelievable who we ended up getting to do it. It was just. It was
1: the "We Are the World" of protest songs, basically. and it
3: was yeah, and it was actually it, it it morphed into an album with with Peter Gabriel. He had a track on it, and uh, Miles Davis had a track mm-hmm. we made, and um, you two wrote "Silver and Gold" for the album. So it was like a whirlwind. Like I worked on it for like eight months, and we did a video which Jonathan Demi. Directed the sh- the live shooting and we shot in Washington Square Park and everything, but he was really busy, so he couldn't really edit it. He directed all the footage and then we got uh Godly and cream, who were doing videos all over Producer. the world so they came yeah, into town produces, for like yeah. three nights and um to edit and I had to buy them the biggest bag of skunk I could find and they hmm. and they just you know went to it but then we had the, the, the screening, the world premiere on MTV was meant to be on Monday night. And, 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 uh, and there it's Sunday, it's Sunday afternoon, six o'clock and we're in there and we're not done anywhere near done literally on, on the edit. And I'm there with, um, this guy named Hart Perry, who is also another film guy and, and got it, and they look at me and go, oh, well, hmm. Our flight's in like two hours. I I'm like, what? Your flight's in two hours? What do you mean? No, no, we got to go. We have a flight. We can't stay. And I go, but we're not done. They're like, you guys, you guys finish it. So me and, me and Hart like stayed up. Steven, see, Stephen Van Zandt was on the schedule. He'd leave the studio at like eight o'clock. He didn't do the all night. He didn't do drugs. He didn't do the all night thing. So me and Hart called some guy to come over to bring us something to keep us up. And we worked literally all night. And so if you watch the end of that video, which it's online, at the end it all breaks out into a huge party, which is what happened at Washington Square Park. But I put in things like Lou Reed dancing around in circles and Bono kissing one of the fat boys. Mm -hmm. And just sort of I put in all this stuff, me and Hart put in this stuff that just made it like, really fun but really chaotic but in a cool way and mm-hmm. Steve, Steve gets there and we don't even have time to do anything he gets there and we have to go walk it over to Les Garland at at, at MTV we walk from the studio over to Les Garland and and that was it and that night it, it went on at like eight o'clock world premiere and think about 85 MTV was the biggest thing in, in, mm-hmm. in, in music and we they just threw it on and it was the thing that we had sort of edited so it was It was pretty funny, but, you know, Godly and Cream did the majority and they did the Black Fist and all the different things that now look sort of, you know, look like really simple to do. But at the time they were they were cutting edge and and it was uh, a great, great video, great song. And and really, uh, you know, we ended up. we ended up raising close to a million dollars for wow. the Africa Fund. And it also just made people aware of apartheid. Cause in, yeah. no, but in apartheid in general, because we did a, actually a making of Sun City Dock that was a 30-minute doc that MTV screened. I mean, this is a time when they weren't even playing Michael Jackson records. I mean, it was really, they weren't playing black music pretty much at all. And, and uh, the fact that we got, you know, Bembada and Grandmaster Flash and were 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 in the video. Curtis Blow, Run DMC, they were all in the video. So we actually broke the apartheid at MTV. Also, so it was right. it was an interesting time, you know, and an interesting project. But Paul Young wasn't on that.
1: No, Christmas time. <laughs> uh, the yeah. Christmas one. Yeah.
3: Do they know it's Christmas? Yeah, and
1: he he sang the opening line. Yeah. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Which which is a which is a record. Um we are definitely um, Oh you are? Uh we will definitely be uh dissecting oh, dis- good. sorry, disinfecting. Yeah, oh that's good. Um, because it is not only one of the worst charity records of all time, but it's gotta be one of the worst holiday records of all time. Yeah,
3: but look at how many look at how well it's sold.
1: Oh yeah, but you know, but, I mean, just the, the subject matter. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's know, There bad. won't be snow in Africa this yeah, Christmas Yeah, yeah, I know, time. I <laughs> know. It's a bit, bit pretentious. <laughs> uh- so any any more thoughts on um, the cover of Love Will Terrorist? I don't
3: know. I just think, you know, I, I I did listen to it, and I did try to give it a, a shot, and it just is bad, you know. it's uh, It's one of those records that, you know, you would think, and you mentioned it, and you would think it was – somewhat drug induced, but you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, cause to leave the studio thinking that was good, you, you know, I mean, I've had some records that I've done that because of the drugs, I really thought it, they were great. And then you listen back even a month later, not years later, you just, you get a new, you get a n- new perspective on right. it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's, it's, um, I'm sure it's all been said. it's just, it's just, wasn't a good idea, and uh, wh- whoever's whoever's idea it was. You, yeah, but who was the A yeah. and R guy at the time?
1: Um, it was just a classic case of an A and R guy who was doing too many drugs, and yeah, yeah, I would, time. I would, I would think that could be the case. And
3: then he was able to convince right. Paul. Who was the guy?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Who was the guy? We will, we will have to find that person out. I don't yeah. know. It,
3: it was, it's pretty, it's pretty bad.
0: Thank you for listening to this special edition of Disinfect. We will see you soon to air out some more of music's worst songs. Thank you, and good night.
1: Good night. Thank you for listening.
4: Disinfect was created by Boris Bergstein and Matt Deal, Produced by Sean Lewis. Jeremy Clark, a.k.a. Mr. Sixty-Six. Artwork by Bill McMullen, a.k.a. Billions make Billions. If you want to tell us how much you love or hate, disinfect, or wish to purchase an extremely overpriced commemorative mug, oven mitt, or t-shirt, please find us on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, and DisinfectPodcast.com. You can also contact us at info at DisinfectPodcast.com. Please like, subscribe, donate, all that shit. Thank you and see you next episode to Disinfect of music's worst songs wherever fine podcasts are shilled copyright giant step 2020 and whatever other necessary boilerplate legal mumbo jumbo blah 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 you hear at the end of your favorite podcasts